0: Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Tycoonist Weekly. I am Mike Berner, your host. Hopefully your week is off to a good start. Hopefully your summer is going pretty well, however long you have left in that. For today's episode, just got one quick announcement. Want to get this out of the way as quickly as possible. But it finally happened. We have a fake tycoonist account on the loose on TikTok. Now, if you watch me on TikTok, you might have noticed a few days ago that we had an imposter spamming my videos under the Tycoonist logo with a similarly spelled username. Tyconist, whoever the hell that is exactly, is in no way affiliated with the Tycoonist or with me personally. Just want to get that out of the way. Although I promptly blocked this clown, I can't guarantee that another won't pop up, unbeknownst to me. Someday, perhaps we'll receive that blue verified checkmark, but until then, just be careful about any sketchy looking links, alright? On YouTube, this week's episode of my new series, Due Diligence, covers Dunkin' versus Starbucks. Time for the real questions, guys. Who has the better bacon, egg, and cheese croissant? In this episode, I examine the rivalry between Dunks and Starbucks and the differences between their respective brands and business models. Watch the video on YouTube to the end for the surprising conclusion. Again, link to that in the newsletter. And subscribe to the Tycoonist YouTube channel for more hard-hitting business journalism. Got two articles here for you guys. First is about Crocs, I promise, this is the last Crocs article that I'm doing, but in case you haven't been watching my previous content, Crocs are back, they are a thing again for the first time since my middle school days, so we'll get into that. Second article is about another comeback, the comeback in the sports card industry, which is pretty surprising, and we'll get into the reasons for that as well. Let's do it. Crocs. Fad or forever? So apparently crocs are a thing again. For the first time since my middle school days, circa 2007. Yeah, I'm as surprised as you are. Nobody informed me about this trend. Didn't get an email, text, fax, or hell, even a Snapchat. But when you see a stock chart that looks something like a hockey stick, you know something's going on. And not for nothing, either. Since the beginning of 2020, Crocs' revenue has surged 50%, while operating income has doubled. Before that, sales had been flat for most of the 2010s. The epic comeback seemed to come out of nowhere. Or did it? Like many things, the Crocs' resurgence is getting attributed to the pandemic. People are at home now, it's all about comfort, blah, blah, blah. But as a matter of fact, the Crocs' liftoff began back when Corona was still just a crappy Mexican beer. The rocket ship's early rumbling started when sales suddenly surged 13% between 2018 and 2019. So while the pandemic may have turbocharged the trend, it was probably going to happen anyway. Where did it come from? What's really driving the Crocs' comeback? Based on polling results, comments, and interviews with Crocs buyers, some general themes have emerged. Here's what we discovered. There's no question about it. Crocs are incredibly polarizing. In our interviews outside the Crocs store in Boston, one older gentleman who was there with his son and granddaughter described them as, quote, gross and hideous. I haven't owned any since I was probably 10, and I feel like we should keep it that way, declared August, who apparently had been dragged to the store by her friend. But not everybody felt the same way. Oliver, age 13, described himself as a Crocs fan. Quote, I love Crocs. I've worn them almost my whole life, he enthused. Crocs superfan Kelly said she owned seven pairs, ticking off five in various colors plus two fur-lined pairs. Results from our public.com poll seem to back up these interactions. Over 40% of respondents still agree with the old adage that was the title of a popular Facebook page. I don't care how comfortable Crocs are. You look like a dumbass. On the other hand, there's a small cultish fan base that not only owns at least one pair, but actually plans to buy even more. Although the numbers don't show it, it appears that there is a sharp generational divide over crocs. We attempted to interview several middle-aged or elderly customers, most declined, explaining that they have no interest in the clogs and are only there to buy for children or grandchildren. Many parents crowded into the small store with screaming little kids in tow, drawn to a shoe that can slip on and off without any laces. Nostalgia could also be a factor. Much like the surge in interest for trading cards, millennials who remember the shoes from the 2000s are now revisiting the brand with their own children. Some variation of the word comfort came up over and over again in our conversations with fans. As stiff formal clothes continue their long slide into total irrelevance, the parent company of Men's Warehouse and Joseph A. Bank went bankrupt in 2020, the athleisure brand keeps on gaining steam. Comments from the medical community also indicate that Crocs have garnered a strong following from nurses on their feet all day. The company has taken notice of its popularity among hospital workers. Since the pandemic began, Crocs has given away over 900,000 pairs to frontline workers. When celebrities from Nicki Minaj to Justin Bieber start hopping on a bandwagon, you know it's time to pay attention. The influencer effect has been powerful. One of our 18-year-old interviewees noted that he was inspired by Crocs-wearing artists on platforms such as Instagram. Crocs has embraced the fashion-focused, collaborative model that drives brands like Nike and Adidas. A recent Justin Bieber-backed project sold out almost instantly. Half of the real estate in the Crocs Boston store is devoted to fresh iterations of the Crocs shoe. The brand has expanded beyond its flagship clogs with fur-lined versions, a large athletic selection, and even work-friendly Crocs that could easily pass for actual shoes or high heels. Then there's Croc's secret weapon, gibbets. The quote, stupid little charms, as one interviewee put it, snap into the holes on the shoe, allowing users to personalize their clogs. Crocs bought gibbets for $10 million in 2006 from an entrepreneurial boulder couple. Although the company doesn't break out charm revenue, it said in January that Gibbet sales doubled in 2020. One analyst previously estimated that the fast-growing charm segment brought in 2% of crocs' revenue in 2019, or $25 million, Which means that sales today could very well exceed $50 million. Gibbets and crocs make the company part of yet another megatrend customization. Consumers today expect more personalized products and companies like Crocs are positioned to deliver it. Now, it isn't the first time that a sleepy brand has roared back in a big way. German sandal maker Birkenstock, long considered the footwear of choice for aging hippies, followed a playbook that, like Crocs, included a more collaborative approach. Within a few years, Birkenstock became, well, cool. The cherry on top came when LVMH purchased the 250-year-old brand earlier this year for an estimated 4.7 billion. Recall that LVMH is the French luxury conglomerate led by Bernard Arnault, who recently surpassed Jeff Bezos as the world's richest person. But what of the 2007 Crocs crash? Back then the trend all ended almost as soon as it began. Although to be fair, that downfall coincided with a global recession. Plus, the market got flooded with knockoffs at a time when the brand wasn't differentiated. Investors seem to be pricing in a big drawdown. The stock trades at just 16 times EBITDA of $531 million. Compare that with Nike at 32 times, Adidas at 31 times, and Lululemon at 43 times. If you deleted the word Crocs and only looked at the numbers, how much do you think you'd pay for this business? The economics and margin profile compare favorably with premium footwear brands. Direct-to-consumer, both online and in-store, accounted for 45.7% of sales in the first half of 2021. That's better than Nike, by the way. But it's Crocs. And for most people, the conversation ends there. Is the market wrong to be pricing the business this cheaply? It's hard to say so for sure, but one thing is for certain. Those fuzzy crocs are fire. The Sports Card Explosion Say what you want about Gary Vaynerchuk, success porn really isn't my thing, but he totally nailed the sports card market two years ago. Quoting Gary V in 2019, I do believe that in the next 24 to 36 months, we are going to see enormous growth in the sports card market, even more than what we've seen in the past two to three years. The pandemic, of course, caused sports card values to take off like a rocket, but this thing was already in motion long before COVID, and it might just be getting started. Weird times we live in. Not that long ago, people were crying about the death of sports cards. But when you think about it, the comeback actually makes a lot of sense. As Gary Vee pointed out, demographics play a role. Aging millennial men, and it's almost all men, who grew up with sports cards in the late 80s and early 90s are rekindling the hobby. Except now, they have adult incomes rather than a $20 allowance from mom. Gary Vee also correctly predicted that sneakerheads would eventually discover sports cards as an adjacent market. And what do you know? In late 2019, sneaker and streetwear reselling platform StockX rolled out a trading cards category. Then there's the rise of sports gambling in general. Sports cards have always served as a way to bet indirectly on sports with the potential to find a rare and valuable card inside any pack. With anti-gambling laws crashing down around the U.S., it's become a rising tide lifts all boats kind of situation. Technology might have Helped kill the hobby. There was once more card shops in the country than there are Starbucks locations today, but now it's playing a key role in the revival. Live streaming of card breaks on YouTube and various online forums have rekindled some of the sense of community once found in card shops. In today's highly visual culture, colorful sports cards also look good on Instagram. Let's not forget the influencers like Gary Vee himself. With his huge amount of card content, Gary Vee both predicted and created the trend. Maybe you noticed that YouTube personality Logan Paul wore a rare Pokemon card worth a million dollars in front of millions of viewers before the Floyd Mayweather fight. Maybe none of this means anything. And yet, amid the boom, there's been plenty of wheeling and dealing on Wall Street. Sports cards producers Topps and Panini. The exclusive licensees of MLB and FIFA slash NBA, respectively, are both going public via SPACs. Tops recently reported earnings that blew away expectations. And by blew away, they came in like a tornado and totally wrecked them. Revenue is up 55% year over year. The company's gushing cash flow. The response from investors? They continue bidding the stock down. Aside from the SPACs are dead bro angle, and that, by the way, that's an actual quote spoke to me in real life. Part of the reason could be that the market doesn't expect the outperformance to continue as the pandemic recedes. And who knows? Maybe that view will prove correct. But consider that Topps chairman and former Disney CEO Michael Eisner says he isn't cashing out in the IPO. This comes several years after he was rumored to be shopping tops to buyers. What changed his mind? Last February, a consortium of investors led by the Chernin Group led a funding round for Golden Auctions, a leading auctioneer for sports cards and collectibles. That's the same Chernin, by the way, that earned 30 to 45 times its initial investment in Barstool Sports within four years. What opportunity does Peter Chernin see here? Again, just a thought. In Chernin's case, he didn't have to wait too long. Last month, Collector's Universe, which itself was sold last year to an investor group backed by billionaire hedgy Steve Cohen, bought Golden Auctions for an undisclosed sum. In another twist, Chernin is also a part owner of Collector's Universe. These people are everywhere. StockX co founder and former CEO Josh Luber remains bullish on cardboard. After stepping down from StockX last year, Luber is working on a new startup revolving around sports cards. In a recent interview, he explained his views for those who believe it's all a pandemic induced fluke. Quote I read all these stories, so much gets attributed to the pandemic. This was going to happen this year anyway. Now, I'm a simple man. And I don't know much. But what I do know is that when Peter Chernin, Mike Eisner, Josh Luber, and Stevie Cohen are all getting involved in something, just might be worth paying attention.